Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything here on Sirius XM Progress. I'm Joe Sudbay. As you all know, I'm guest hosting for John this week. But as many of you know, I also host a show on Sirius called State of the States, where we focus on what's happening in state capitals and talk to legislative candidates around the country, because that's really where the action is. And that is why I am so excited right now to be joined by New York State Senator Jessica Ramos. She's the chair of the Senate Labor Committee. Welcome to the show, Senator Ramos. Well, thank you so much for having me. Well, let's just take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience. Tell them a little bit about yourself and also the district you represent, and then we'll take it from there. Sure. So my name is Jessica Ramos. I represent Senate District 13 in New York, uh, which includes the neighborhoods of Jackson Heights, Corona, East Elmhurst, most of Elmhurst, and a sliver of Rigo Park, where the neighborhood's just south of LaGuardia Airport. Um, and we happen to be the most diverse place in the world. We speak about 200 languages here. Um, we have a, a very vibrant and sizable LGBTQ community. We have everyone and everything, including the most delicious food in the world right here at, at this crossroads. And with that, I think comes a lot of responsibility um, to show the rest of uh, Americans in the world that coexistence is possible, that we can, you know, send our kids to school together, share the roads uh, and fight for resources in an inclusive way way. So um, being chair of the Labor Committee uh, has really allowed me to view work from that lens, from, yes, the view of the immigrant, but also uh, this idea of uh, yearning to create generational wealth and what that means in a state with grave income inequality and what 
the fight against poverty looks like. So um, I'm happy to be on the show and um, there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, there is so much to talk about. For example, this week you were at a rally for the Writers Guild of America, SAG-AFTRA, and there was a line that you said that I thought just resonated. And it certainly seems to be something that permeates your work, but also kind of permeates the summer. This is a labor movement, not a labor moment. This was at a rally, a National Day of Solidarity. Talk a little bit about that, because it does feel like, and I'm interested particularly from your perspective as the chair of the Senate Labor Committee, someone who fights on these issues, it really feels like we have turned a corner into more of a realization that labor matters, labor unions matter, fair wages matter. I'm just interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I want my message that day on that picket line was that we weren't going to just be a blip in history. Um, it, we're not just another picket line. It's it's hot strike summer for a reason. Um, we, I think, as human beings are burnt out. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're not spending enough time with our families. We're not making enough to make ends meet, uh, much less buy a house, especially not in New York. Um, and that's really what we're striking about. So um, I, I lend my support uh, because I know that my generation and those younger than me, and I'm just 38, we will also want a secure retirement. We have to protect pensions. We have to protect human jobs. The legislating um, around artificial intelligence and the impact on labor for the coming uh, years is, is going to be very serious because we'll have to strike a balance, of course, um, but we have to allow for people uh, to be provided with economic opportunity to, to, to provide for themselves. So it's, it's going to be a bigger conversation, but that line was really about that bigger movement that we are seeing mold uh, towards the times fighting against this current gilded age that we're living in, that I believe we're living in, so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. It's so important. And, you know, it really feels like realization among workers, and maybe it was the pandemic that did it. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, we have an administration finally that's actually spending money on programs that need to be spent money on at the national level, but or a combination. But people have realized workers have been in a bad spot for decades. And I, I blame it. I st- think it started with Reaganomics and we're still crawling out of that. Patco. But one thing. That's right. Right. Patco. And, yes. And, Yes, that when Reagan fired the union and was very proud and it, it was and, and said that government can't do good things for people when, in fact, it can. And it happens at the state level. And it, it brings you to a piece of legislation that you've introduced, because I think one of the things that happened over the summer is um, the Teamsters doing a terrific job of sticking together and fighting UPS for a much better deal. They started explaining to people what their work was like and you know, in the hottest summer we've ever had, they were fighting for air conditioning. And you've introduced legislation, the Temperature Extreme Mitigation Program, which, you know, you look at, I was reading through it, and I was like, that we even have to do this, but we do. Talk about that legislation and what the genesis of it was. Well, we see that with climate change and our slow response to mitigating any of the effects of climate change, you know, it's putting 
workers at great risk. We have many workers performing work outside. Think about construction workers, think about farm workers, think about our delivery people, whether it's UPS, FedEx, Amazon uh, drivers and delivery people, um, including food delivery people. There is just so many folks exposed to the elements. Here we're focused on, on how high temperatures get and unfortunately too many bosses, and this is especially true when the quote-unquote boss is actually an algorithm, you know, they're not afforded some rest time, a break in a, in a shady area, um, time to sit down and drink a bottle of water and catch their breath. And unfortunately, we've seen folks get sent to the hospital uh, with chronic dehydration. And that is just not fair. You know, it's not it's not worth putting that level of profit above the well-being of our own family members. Um, so this bill is really aimed at addressing that, outlining what the rights of workers are um, when temperatures are particularly high. And um, we're hopeful that in this way we can begin to catch up with the state of the world. I think, you know, one of the biggest victories for big business has been the slowdown of labor law updates. And we're way behind when it comes to many different sectors, especially grown sectors, where, where it's whether it's gig work or warehouse work, which has been a focus of mine in these past two sessions, working very closely with RWDSU and the Amazon Labor Union, because Amazon just can't be the new high-tech sweat shop. We, we, we can't allow ourselves to go back to that era. And hopefully this will at least keep some folks safe as, as we fight for more. Really important to fight for more. And, and, and just, you know, hottest summer we've ever had. And literally people are dying, including farm workers around the country. We have seen reports. It's, it's horrific. And just to veer off a little bit, I mean, one of the reasons farm workers in your state actually can organize is because of legislation you sponsored in your first term, which was really important. And New York farm workers are starting to see the benefits from that that allowed farm workers to do collective bargaining. And I think it's <laughs> talk about a group of people who keep us fed in America and are so underappreciated. Farm workers, I think, are right near the top of the list. Yes, they absolutely are. They're some of the most important people in our lives and, and, and we don't we don't think about them as often as we should. And and that's by design, right? Because here in New York right. State and and in many other places, farm workers were left out of labor law protections because of, you know, vestiges of the Jim Crow era where most farm workers, particularly in New York State, were black sharecroppers. And they of course had to be denied the right to a day off, the right to overtime pay, the right to um, unemployment and disability insurance, and the right to organize. Um, so that needed to be corrected. And it was a bill that was languishing in the New York State Senate for a long time. You know, there was a Republican majority for a long time. So when I ran, got elected, and we finally had a supermajority I knew that, you know, I needed to be the last senator to carry this bill um, and make it a reality. I actually got 
at the farmers and the farm workers in the room for the first time together to negotiate what would become the final draft, including a wage board that would establish what the overtime pay rates were going to be like because they needed to get to 40 hours like the rest of the work, New York's workforce. So it's been pretty wild to see these past few years how organizing on fields has skyrocketed. We have some vineyards out in Suffolk County, some veggie farmers upstate and and others who are really leading the movement to build the middle class for a population that today is mostly Latino, mostly Mexican and Guatemalan men and women who are going to be able to raise their families here with the dignity and the respect that they deserve. Well, I have to say, I really appreciate that. My, uh, my father-in-law actually came to the United States as part of the Procero program back in the 50s. So it is an issue that is near and dear to my heart. So I thank you for that. And it's so important for all the reasons you said. One of the things, you know, we talk about workers and, and, and especially in this gig economy and you and, um, Councilmember uh, Oswald Feliz wrote an op-ed for AM New York that it's just one of those things. It's about these multi-billion dollar app companies trying to undo progress for workers, particularly immigrants. And it's so maddening. And you're on the front lines fighting back about talk Talk about that because it's so important, obviously. Are, are we allowed, is this a podcast where I'm allowed to curse? You can curse. Yes, it's we're on Sirius XM Progress. <laughs> I, you okay. can curse here. Well, please these, do. <laughs> you, you know, these apps are just, you know, full of bullshit, um, because yeah. if you think about their overhead, it's really their own, you know, C-suite uh, employees plus, um, you know, the algorithm and the technology, the servers behind it. But all of the other overhead is incurred by the delivery workers themselves. The purchase of the, of the bicycle or, or preferably the e-bike, helmet and safety equipment to come with it. The bag that they carry, the insulated bag that they carry food in, they have to purchase that from the companies themselves. You know, gloves, uh, you know, their own stuff, in, you know, and, 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 and which is why we've seen them use a lot of these uh, lithium ion bags batteries that are brought out for a second use, which I'm hoping that the governor signs into law very soon because we put that bill on her desk back in June. I mean, how many more fires are we waiting for, lady? So, I, I mean, between that and, you know, establishing minimum pay for the delivery workers and, of course, just working with them so that we can keep them off our sidewalks, quite frankly, creating the space on the streets, in terms of street design, creating the space for these e-bikes so that that's where they are and that's where they stay so that they can feel safe as they deliver our food and, and, and you know, are increasingly oppressed by these algorithms uh, telling them to work harder and faster. You know, we really human consumer behavior, consumer behavior is something that's very difficult to change. But I think that we're entering an era where between that and, you know, quote unquote, prime day at Amazon and things like that, we really need to take more into account the human toll. Um, and of course, the toll on our planet as well. Absolutely. And it, it is all intertwined. And again, I think many people during the pandemic really probably for the first time tuned into the idea of how they got their food, how they got their deliveries. And 
the very human toll that's involved in the work that was involved. And, you know, and now we've got this summer. It has been amazing to watch of just, you know, I think that the Teamsters UPS agreement, $30 billion more for workers is so significant. And I hope it has strengthened the spines. And I give a lot of credit to the Teamsters for sticking together and being fearless. And I hope it sends a signal to workers around the country. It can be done. All they had to do was practice, practice what what a picket line would be like. It wasn't even the real thing. Did we even get to the dress rehearsal? My gosh, of course UPS was shaking in their boots. And they did the right thing. They came to the table. They negotiated a fair contract. So, you know, I think oftentimes, um, you know, we're, 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 of course, very quick to criticize corporations because they don't behave very well. But in the event that they do, if and when they do the right thing, um, we appreciate them, of course, uh, respecting the union, respecting the demands of the workers, understanding that the cost of living is quickly increasing and figuring out how, you know, they could retain their workers um, and, and actually allow them to build careers out of this. I mean, that's the other big thing, right? The quality of jobs has greatly diminished um, because uh, and, and people end up staying only two, three years at a job or they have three part-time jobs. And that was actually a big part of this UPS right. fight was the part-timers and, and making sure that people weren't just seasonal workers, but actually had the opportunity of a career before them. Of course, you know, again, going back to this idea that, you know, young people, you know, we're going to need pensions too. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling very French in the sense that I'm not, I don't plan on working until 67 or whatever age in order to properly retire. No way, no how. And the only way that we can do that is by protecting the union and by standing together and by fighting together for our families because the pressure is just too much. And, you know, the economy is actually, I think, slowly but shortly bottoming out precisely because of this big shift in income inequality and the concentration of wealth by those who are owning all of these companies. And that's why we're fighting back and and trying to bring more money into our communities. Really important. And look, it is it is the kind of thing and what, what I think is significant and it's what you did this week is I think it's really important for Democratic leaders to show up on picket lines and show workers who has their back because the oligarchs who are funding the Republicans on the stage at their debate this past week do not have workers backs. And I think it, that's why I, I love when I see and I know you do it all the time, um, showing that solidarity with the labor movement. It's so important. And, you know, I'll give President Biden credit because he he's always talking about the importance of labor unions. And we haven't had a president who's done it as strongly for a long time. And we just need to reinforce that often, often, often. Absolutely. The union message is always relevant and will always be relevant. And it's it's just really important values that we have to uh, keep teaching to the next generation. And this is why, you know, of course, the overall fight just for education and making sure that people are reading and understanding what has happened so that we don't repeat this, the mistakes of the past is really, really important. I mean, what if unionization, if what if the rate of unionization would have stayed afoot? 
from what it was in the 50s under the Eisenhower administration. Um, and we had a real middle class in this country. We would be invincible. Perhaps we really would be a developed country. Perhaps we actually would have Medicare for all by now. But, you know, it's all of those constructs of our minds, you know, as color and all of these other things that are used to divide us. You know, the, the rich are very smart, but there's more of us, so we must be smarter. We must be smarter and we need to have leaders like you. I just want to add a personal note. That September night back in 2018, I was actually visiting my in-laws out in California and I was so distracted watching the results from the primaries when you won your primary and we knew you and many of your colleagues won and we knew there was going to be a supermajority that would actually work for the people of New York. And you have shown that repeatedly, Senator Jessica Ramos. And I love that you're the chair of the Labor Committee, the exact place that um, you should be. Tell our audience how they can find you online and, and elsewhere. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a blast. I, I mean, talking about labor law is one of my favorite things. And folks at home <laughs> can follow along on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it these days at Jessica Ramos, just J-E-S-S-I-C-A-R-A-M-O-S, or on Instagram, double underscore Jessica Ramos, double underscore. You can follow us there. And there's, you know, a very exciting legislative session to come January. So me and my team are cooking up all sorts of good bills to push for in the next session. So stay tuned. Well, we stay tuned and you'll have to come back and share all of that with us here Absolutely. on Series XM Progress. What a treat. <laughs> what a treat to speak to you today, Senator Ramos. Thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Everything. All right. Thanks for having me. Great to talk to you. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Hello. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. I'm Joe Sudbay. 
on this night of the first Republican debate, where there are eight candidates on the stage, six of whom would support Donald Trump again, even if he's convicted of federal crimes, including Mike Pence, who was practically a victim of one of those crimes. And I thought tonight what we needed to do on this show was talk about issues that are going to be ignored or disparaged by Republicans. I had a great conversation with Rob Furchick from Loyola Law School, just an expert on disaster and climate change law, really informative. And now I want to talk about gun violence and gun violence prevention, because that's another issue. When you talk about a party that is fully owned by a lobby, the Republican Party is fully owned by the National Rifle Association. And joining us now to help unpack what is happening around the country on the issue of gun safety I'm really pleased to welcome Chris Brown, who's the president of the Brady Campaign. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, A pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So, yeah, I figured, you know, let's talk about issues that Americans really care about. And boy, do people care about gun violence. And it's not just like a majority. This has been an overwhelming majority of people who want action and Talk a little bit about where things are right now, your perspective on the gun issue, and then I want to dive in and we'll talk about some other stuff, too. Well, yeah, you're right. Um, I I listened and for, for what I could of the debate, there was no serious discussion, obviously, about what is now the number one killer of our kids, and that is guns. That is a uniquely American crisis epidemic and Unfortunately, in the backdrop of COVID, it got worse. We had a 64% increase in gun sales against the backdrop of the pandemic. And we're seeing so many signs now with more guns in the public domain than we have people of the consequences of that. And so the solutions, honestly, for how we solve this problem are quite simple. We need better policy. We need to enforce our policy better. We need to change cultural norms around what it means to be a gun owner in the country. And we need to take on the lie that more guns make us safer. And it sounds really simple when I say that. And I mean, to some extent, it really is. Uh, It falls into four buckets, if you will. Better policy, better enforcement of the law, education, is super important and changing cultural norms sounds like a lot in some ways too but that's how we've solved every major public health crisis that we've faced in our country ever that's how we got buckle up that's how we got a designated driver it's how we got secondhand smoke and it's how how we've saved countless lives. And that's the approach that we have to take around a uniquely American crisis, because John, no other country, no other people face this level of gun violence. And I'll just leave you with this. I was last week at NRA headquarters. I find myself there. I only live 15 miles away from their headquarters. I was there with Manny and Patricia Oliver. They had drove, they'd driven a school bus, uh, a fleet of 20 school buses to the NRA headquarters. They've been 
all over the country. Manny and Patricia lost their son, Joaquin, in the school shooting in Parkland. And just so everyone understands, they are from Venezuela originally. Um, They have one daughter. They had a son, Joaquin. They moved to the United States because they wanted a better life and freedom from violence, which was a potential threat to them in Venezuela. And so they chose one of the most safe, one of the best school districts in the country in Florida, and they sent their children to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And that's where Joaquin was shot. And of course, we as an Amer- as Americans think, well, you know, potentially, what does that have to do with us? That has everything to do with us. Because not only are our kids threatened in the same way that, you know, Joaquin and the others who were killed there are threatened, but also it's how the rest of the world sees us. And it's the reality of being a parent in America today where you never know whether or not your children are fully safe. And that just has to end. So it's disturbing, it's upsetting to understand in a presidential debate that this issue was glanced upon in the discussion. And when it was, it was all about fundamental basic rights, as if the idea of individuals owning a firearm trump our rights to be safe. It doesn't have to be that way. We don't have to pit the Second Amendment against my right to live. Both of them should be valued in our society, but my right to live should be paramount. And really at Brady, that's what we're seeking to have happen, which is reversing a big tide that's happening today, I will say. But there's a lot of tailwinds that we have seen in the states to make us feel pretty good about the direction we're going. And a lot of people who are raising their voices around this, especially younger people who really want to see a difference. So we feel good about that, too. Yeah, it has been inspiring to see so many young people speak out. And, you know, I worked at what was at your organization many, many years ago, back when it was called Handgun Control. I actually worked for Jim Brady. I traveled the country with the guy. and Amazing. Amazing. Just an amazing man. And back when it was interesting, because Jim would often be asked, because it was such a, you know, this was back in the 90s. And it was still the question was like, well, what do you say when the NRA says more guns make us safer, which they've been saying Uh, forever. And it drives me crazy. You know what Jim Brady would say? When I was shot with President Reagan, we were surrounded by the United States Secret Service, arguably the best trained law enforcement professionals in the world. John Hinckley got off six shots. So don't tell me more guns make us safer. And and it was and it was it was, you know, the other thing is you mentioned the family of Joaquin. The, The thing is, Chris, and this is something that you experience you meet these people who are the most amazing people in the world and you're in awe of them and you just respect them and you only met them because the worst thing in the world happened to them. And all they want is for it not to happen to somebody else. And 
that, that shouldn't be too much to ask. But yet somehow in this country, the Republican Party has become completely owned by the, the NRA and they, very few of them will, will move. And, and that has to change, too. And, and we know from polling, gun owners support, you know, more sane policies. Republicans do. Yet still, it is just this lock coming out of Waple Mills Road, where the NRA's headquartered in Wayne LaPierre. <laughs> I mean, I was Wayne there LaPierre. last week. Yes, you have it right. Yeah. Right. Right. And look, and Wayne LaPierre, I mean, I've gone to the NRA convention back in the day. I used to go and just marvel at it. Just, you know, it's a, that's unbelievable. It's a, I mean, it's so interesting. I just have to turn it on you. So, you know, I I have a friend who also did that. I, I've not been to an NRA convention, although we, you know, I, I've shot many, many guns because it's part of what we do to make sure that I understand how they function, et cetera. I've never sure. had a gun in the home and I don't want to, but I'm fine. And I know many people who have firearms, but what was it like for you to be at the convention? Well, it was just, it was, it was uh, kind of surreal um, because, you know, you'd see all these people. I used to debate a lot of them, like I used to debate a yeah. lot of them when, when I worked and, you know, I'd see one of my one of my favorites. And I put this in air quotes, Chris. One of my favorites <laughs> was Tanya Mataksa, who when you debated her, I would like I used to do this to her. I'd go to her all the time. I'd say, Tanya, spell your name, spell your name for us. And she would say M-E-T-A-K as an AK-47 essay as in semi-automatic. I'm not making that up. That's exactly how she do it. So, but it's really, you realize, I think what happens is, I used to say that the NRA had like a field and stream membership and a soldier of fortune leadership. And the people who went to the convention, a lot of people joined the NRA because they can get a hunter safety course. And that's used to be what their marquee was. And they they would take the hunter safety course and they're not part of the extreme, you know, the, the, they might have four million members, but the hardcore is a couple hundred thousand, maybe. That's who would show yeah. up at the convention. It wasn't the field and stream people. It was the hardcore true believers who, you know, thought that everything, yeah. you know, they needed their guns to protect them from the government yeah. takeover. That's how it was. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just really interesting to think about that. Because, I mean, the NRA headquarters is 20 miles from from my office. When I was there with uh, Patricia and Manny, they drove their buses and, and we protested in front of the NRA. It was peaceful. And uh, the Fairfax County police were called. We had about 45 police officers surrounding us um, Jesus Christ. with with, you know, loaded weapons. They weren't draw, drawing the weapons or anything like that, but they were protecting the infrastructure of the NRA, the National Rifle Association. Not a single person who works there. By the way, there are like 10 vehicles there. So it's not like it was highly populated. I think most people at the NRA have been working from home this whole time, but it was this bizarre thing where I'm thinking to myself, 
you know, the slogan that they advanced is nothing stops a bad guy with a gun with like a good guy with a gun. And we're all reasonable uh, people who are seeking to understand how it is that they have advanced a society in which someone who never should have had an assault weapon easily accesses it and to protect themselves in this fortress they have 45 armed police officers surrounding us it was really so strange so if they really think and i think about this with you all day right that nothing stops a bad guy with a gun if we're the bad guys like a good guy with a gun then well they're the ones with the guns they have a shooting right. range like they're the ones who are calling this armed enforcement and we're all pacifists we are gun violence prevention advocates so what kind of false messaging are they giving their membership that you know what you really should do is carry a gun because if you just follow through on what they're saying, then Wayne LaPierre should have come right up to me with his AR-15 and said, get off my property. And we then yeah. we could see how that, that would play out. And that's the folly of it. He doesn't believe that really. They don't believe, none of them do, the garbage that they are selling us. They don't. They just do it to sell more guns. And they don't care how many people die. They don't care that Joaquin died. They don't care that Jamie Guttenberg died. They don't care that a single person dies. And I'm sorry, but that's just a fact. And that that just drives the point home. It's an absolute fact. It is an absolute fact. They do not care. And it is all about selling guns. And they, they, you know, they hide behind this. I think they hide behind the Second Amendment. Now they've got Clarence Thomas writing this bizarre interpretation oh, of the God. Second Amendment. That makes no sense. But yeah. the, the whole thing is, it's all about the gun industry. And there really was a merge. They used to be more separate, but they really did kind of merge together, like in the yeah. late 90s, early 2000s. And the gun industry loves, you know, they, they, the NRA is basically a, a trade group for, for the gun manufacturers. And, and the gun manufacturers have gone in increased lethality. And, you know, back in the day, they used to say, oh, assault weapons is a made up term. That's what they used. They used it as an that was an, a selling point for them. They wanted, they've gone for increased lethality. And, you know, I, it goes back to, I, I always say too, Chris, what I think one of the things we deal with is um, the NRA, I mean, and it just drives me crazy how often the media, anytime a new piece of legislation is introduced, someone from the NRA will be quoted in the New York Times or the Washington Post saying this is going to lead to confiscation, which is bullshit, oh but gosh. they say it anyways, right? We're going to take a break. We'll be back here on the John Fugelsang Show. Tell me everything in just a few minutes. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting for John. I want to talk about gun violence. I just don't think Americans fully understand how weak our gun laws are, our federal system. You know, yes, we have background checks at the initial point of sale, you know, from a licensed dealer. And, you know, the guns, the only consumer product specifically designed to kill, are not regulated in any way for safety. Uh, that's thanks to John Dingle keeping it out of the consumer product safety uh, law back in yes. 1972, right? Then you have it's yes. an industry that is immune from <laughs> from liability because of a bill George Bush signed in 2005. And the other thing, yeah. this is what I think that always that's gets right. people when you're saying the ATF is so hamstrung that record forms are kept on paper in the year yeah. 2023. Right. paper forms still and like that's the reality we're dealing with and the nra makes it seem like you know wanting to have background checks on private sales is the worst thing that ever happened 90 percent of the american people support it it, it drives me crazy obviously <laughs> no i mean you um <laughs> I, you you do my work for me so i mean i'm not sure how much i can add to that but i i will say the thing that's interesting, just to contextualize this, because so much of what has been erected around the regulation or lack thereof of the gun industry is uh, something that most average Americans just simply don't know. And the New York Times honestly did just an incredible piece about three weeks ago. You kind of alluded to this in reference to John Dingell about what John Dingell, who was the longest mm -hmm. serving member of the House of Representatives, a longtime hunter, someone who, you know, inherited guns in his family, et cetera. And, and someone I knew that I, I worked on Capitol Hill between 1990 and 1998. I met him many times and he did a lot of great things. But he and his widow would say this, Debbie Dingell, he was someone who really was on the wrong side of the issue around guns in this respect, thinking about what a balance would be around a reasonable Second Amendment right, which always had been understood to be a collective, not an individual right. Always, always, right. always from the inception always. of our democracy and public safety. How do we balance these things? And the New York Times did an incredible kind of expose looking at his papers that were released through FOIA 
where he deposited them at University of Michigan, and, and they reviewed them. And basically, he's the architect of a lot of what we see in modern day times about the NRA strategy, which when I talk to people and they're gun owners or or they they had supported the NRA in the past, and they say, well, why is the NRA taking these kinds of positions? I don't understand it. You know, if they want to protect and preserve the right to have a firearm for hunting, I get that. But they're so extreme now. It's like they are, you know, and basically kind of an extremist organization because they are. You don't have to look much further than John Dingle, but before he was on the board and kind of was the architect of a lot of what they now do today, they would not oppose a lot of public safety oriented laws. Once he kind of put the framework together, they opposed everything from the Brady Law, which just stands for the crazy proposition that people like convicted felons and other people we all agree should not have easy access to firearms. They should be subject to a background check. They oppose that every step of the way. They've opposed an assault weapons ban. They've opposed extreme risk laws. They oppose everything. And the bottom line that you referenced, John, the reason they do that is because it is an impediment to sales. So if they're selling widgets, and that's how they think of it, they want more market share. And they don't care that their widget is an AR-15 that's capable of mass slaughter. They do not care. They want to make sure they have a market plan to sell as many of those to as many people, including minors, including young men who are going to go kill a lot of people, and they don't care. And the more Americans who can get that message and understand that and understand that is killing us, the better. And that clearly. Yes. And and this is playing out this week in the Tennessee State House too. Yes. Where you are seeing mothers show up with that very message about the fears they have of their kids going to school and the fears their kids have. And they are being shut down by legislators who have fealty to the NRA. And it is maddening. It is absolutely maddening. And that is why the work that you and your colleagues, Chris Brown, do is so important at the Brady organization. Why don't you tell people how they can find you? and uh, find the organization. I, you know, like it's near and dear to my heart. Like I said, I, I, Sarah and Jim are, were very special people to me. And I spent, I, I had so much fun, Jim Brady, and I'm sure you've heard stories and I could tell stories about Jim Brady all night. He was the funniest guy and yes. he would come up with the best zingers. And he, he was, we traveled. We traveled so often. He and Jim, with his nurse Mary, who was a, just a saint. And um, man, I just think back of those days. I get very emotional thinking about it because he was just. And, and to watch people, who um, it was really special um, oh. to see him with other victims of gun violence. And the same with Sarah. 
the, you know, the bond that they had that some, you know, the rest of us just didn't understand. And, and, and their, their just amazing compassion and empathy for people was just, it, it was just so powerful. Well, I love hearing that. And I, as I, I um, travel across the country, I meet so many people who were touched by um, Jim and Sarah, and I'm so proud of that legacy. Unfortunately, I have to say, you know, in the next four years, one in four Americans will be intimately touched by gun violence. They will yeah. either have been shot or know someone who is shot. And at the time when Jim and Sarah were connecting with people, it was much less common. It's much more yeah. common today because we've had huge increase in gun sales against the backdrop of the pandemic. But we're making a big stride in states across the country, and there's a lot more that we can do with grassroots support and activation. So to answer your question, please join us. If you're interested in raising your voice, we need you. So please go to bradyunited.org and get more information there. If you're just interested in following us, you can find us on Twitter under Brady United. Brady Buzz is our Twitter or X handle. And you can find me at at Chris B underscore Brown on what was formerly known as Twitter. Hmm. So cool. um, please, please find us there. Very cool. And I will tell you, I actually host a show here on Sirius XM Progress called State of the States that we talk to state legislative candidates all the time and they're doing door knocking. And when when I ask them what they hear on the doors, they all talk about abortion, but many, many, many of them say people are just sick and tired of the gun violence in this country. It resonates. And, and we have some great heroes out there like Tom Sullivan in Colorado. So thank you for the work yes. you do every day, Chris. And thank you to your colleagues at Brady United for the work you're doing. I'm really glad you could join us. This is Joe Sudby. We're going to be back in just a few minutes here on Tell Me Everything. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to Tell Me Everything here on SiriusXM Progress. I'm Joe Sudbay, guest hosting for John Fugelsang. And you guys, we are in for a treat because joining us now, the liberal redneck, 
the one and only Trey Crowder. You know him from his videos, his videos that helped keep us sane during the Trump years and the pandemic. You probably listen to Weekly Skews, which he does with Mark Ag. I am just really glad you could join us this week of all weeks. Trey Crowder, welcome back to SiriusXM Progress. Howdy. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you could be here. I guess, um, you know, it's been kind of an interesting week. Um, yeah. We had uh, we have a mugshot. We have a mugshot mm-hmm. uh, now. Um, yeah, I saw people. I saw footage of like people in a bar somewhere reacting to that mugshot, like a Canadian city when their team wins the Stanley Cup or whatever. It's pretty wild. <laughs> like people losing their minds. I wonder if like Trump's people keep that kind of thing away from him. Like if he ever sees that, I'm just, he probably sees that and he's like, ah, oh, they love the picture so much. Look how much they love the picture. It's it is a good picture. I gotta say, you know, it's a wild it's time. The best picture. It's probably the yeah. best. It's probably the best mugshot ever taken, right? A lot ever. of people are saying it. A lot of people are saying it. <laughs> and and we also, you know, this week was just it was just one thing after another, it felt like. And, you know, this indictment in Georgia, uh, you know, a RICO charge. We have the whole kind of, you know, Mark Meadows mugshot. We've got them all filing through and What's been really interesting and fun to watch is Fonnie Willis is taking no shit from these guys. There is just she's not playing at all. And I have to say, I am a big fan of Fonnie. Yeah, she definitely seems to be keeping it real, as is the custom in uh, the ATL, as I understand it. But, yeah, I saw just a few minutes ago, I guess, uh, old Cheese Bro, one of the most comically named of the co-conspirators, he, like, uh, requested a speedy trial. And so they're like, all right, we'll do it in October then. You know, just immediately called his bluff. Like you said, not taking any shit at all. It's uh, nice to see. You love to see it. Yeah, Cheese Bro, who none of us had heard of a couple of weeks ago, and now we know he was one of the, you know, leading instigators of the fake electors. And then last week, CNN came up with video that he was tagging along with Alex Jones in front of the Capitol on January 6th. I mean, that guy, that guy was like in the thick of all of it. And, you know, like really four or five weeks ago, barely any of us knew his name. Now he's like the key player in the whole thing. Which is the fact that barely anybody knew his name five weeks ago is particularly noteworthy considering his name sounds like a Wisconsin frat boy or something, <laughs> you know, I mean, cheese, bro. That's a name that you don't forget that name easily. You know what I mean? So he was flying under the radar pretty well to have only just surfaced in recent weeks, but no more. Now he's on the list. And they all get together. Speaking of cheese bros, um, they were all in Milwaukee last night. Well, not all of them. Of course, Trump wasn't there. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, the Republican debate? It's really weird watching any kind of like uh, ostensible, you know, presidential candidate debate where you just pretty much know that none of them have a shot in hell, or at least that is the, you know, unless something, you know, crazy happens to Trump. Like normally you're watching the debate in the context of like, okay, let's see who emerges as the front runner. How's the guy out in front going to handle, you know, uh, they're going to be any up and comers or whatever. But this all seems like, uh, I don't know, an exercise in futility to me. Not, don't get me wrong. There's still some, uh, you know, still plenty of lunacy on display and uh, and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It feels a little pointless to me. Yeah, it, you know, it was kind of like uh, uh, like the has-beens 
um, getting together or the the also rans. And they're yeah, they're all like 40. They're all minimum 40 points behind. But right. yet there they were pretending that they could be president. I didn't get to I was here actually on air, so I didn't have to watch. it. <laughs> it was great. I saw clips today, though. And they're a very unlikable bunch of people. Oh, yeah. You don't say. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Uh, weird that people, that, you know, the the party that spends most of their time alienating almost every demographic of people in this country, except for one very, one very narrowly defined one, you know, comes off as unlikable to the rest of us. But there you have it. And a lot of people were praising. Well, I mean, a lot of people were praising and a lot of people were also roasting that. Uh, is it uh, is it Vivek? Vivek? Um how do you I say think it's name? Vivek. I had a friend named Vivek, Vivek and Vivek yeah. Ramaswamy. Yeah, that guy. And I found him good. like uh, I don't know. He seemed to be like you know some dude all strung out on Adderall, uh, light at a bar, talking about you know solving all the world's problems or whatever. Except he's also got a billion dollars and a growing following, I guess. But I liked it when Christy called him Chat GPT. Thought that was a pretty good line. Christie's good for that every now and again. Doesn't have a shot in hell, but like he'll go after the other ones, uh, you know, when appropriate. And he's actually got kind of the chops to do so. So, and he loves chops. So I can, uh, you know, I can appreciate that. Well, I did. I mean, I, I can't stand Christie, of course, but I will forever be grateful for what he did to Marco Rubio uh, yeah. seven or eight years ago in the debates and just chopped him into little pieces. Yeah. And then like last night, the way he immediately recognized the that uh, Vivek, his opening line was like basically lifted from Barack Obama or at the very least. I mean, it was almost identical to, you know, one of Obama's big, like big landmark speeches that broke him into the upper echelon of politics or whatever. And Christie like called him out on that, you know, right then. I thought that was because Internet sleuths, you know, dig that type of thing up every time but for him to be on top but look don't get me wrong dude i'm not a chris christie fan but that's what i'm saying like the bar is like so low that he <laughs> they make a guy like christie almost you know somewhat likable by comparison when you look at the rest of them which is how you know bad off they are i feel the same way like even even saying i appreciate what christie did to marco rubio i was like i hate christie but i hate marco rubio more so yeah. i was really glad what he did and i felt the same way last night vivek just seems like i feel like we all know someone like vivek who's just just kind of he he actually reminds me of someone i know so much who's just like such so full of shit and talks about everything and acts like they know everything about everything right and right. he's just so completely unlikable. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he's like, you know, talks people's ears off until the wee hours of the morning about crypto, you know, a few years ago. He seems like, you know, a, a decade or so back, he'd be like roping you into a timeshare or something like that. He's got like a, like, a, I don't know, like I hate bring up, you know, fraternity stuff again, like a frat bro uh, car salesman Adderall type thing all wrapped up. He just runs his mouth incessantly without saying anything of, of much substance, but, you know, he uh, he hits all the talking points or whatever, makes sure to do so. Yeah, he, he, there's just something about him that's off. And I just think, I think the other thing is, he's like, uh, in some ways, he's like a mini Trump. He just talks and wants to be aggressive and be a bullshit artist. And he'll say anything, just say anything. And, you know, that that used to be an issue if you just said anything and, and lied and 
But Trump kind of proved that in the Republican Party, it's fine. It doesn't matter anymore. And he seems to be picking up in that. But that's just what it seemed like to me. Yeah, but I don't know. The thing is with Trump, like, I feel like for years there's people, me, me myself included, being like, you know, what's really going to be bad is when, like, the next wave of Republican up-and-comers come through that have been inspired by Trump. They're like Trump protégés, but they're like actually somewhat competent. Like they have less of the buffoonery or whatever. You know, they're, they're uh, they got you know half a functional brain or whatnot. That's when we're really going to be in trouble. And then that was supposed to be DeSantis for a while. It's like, well, he's here. This is the guy. Watch out. But like, and now this Vivek, he's like, oh, he's like a mini Trump and everything. But I just feel like. I don't know, man. With Trump, you just you can't coach that. You know what I mean? There's just something like, yeah. I, I, they try to like ape Trump, but I just I I literally don't know if that's possible. You know what I mean? Like I don't think it can be replicated. Uh, there's just him, and then eventually something will happen to him, and then God knows what comes after that. So I don't know. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, it is it is interesting how the billionaires, the Republican billionaires decided uh, we can't have Trump anymore. Um, we need to do DeSantis. And they thought they were going to they, they really did believe that this guy and, and, and look, a lot of the media believed in it, too. I mean, the Times and the Post and everyone, they sent reporters down there. They were writing their beat sweeteners. This was going to be the guy. They were going to have the inside track because they went down and talked to him. And man, what a disaster. It's so funny to me that in Florida, he like runs reign supreme. He's like a little dictator down there. He takes one step out of the state and everyone hates him and he's a complete asshole. Yeah, I want to make like you know some kind of crack about like, well, that's Florida for you. You know, if everybody's on meth and bath salts <laughs> or over the age of eighty, then you know you'll have that. But like, I don't know. He doesn't. He, he's not super Florida -y either because like you know Florida, you can say what you want about him, but usually they're like entertaining. Florida man, you know, <laughs> not known for a lack of charisma as a as an entity. But like DeSantis, though, he's like a poorly wired automaton trying to simulate you know, human interactions a lot of time. Well, especially particularly when it comes to like joy or laughter or like pleasure or anything like that. Like if when somebody says something that he can tell is supposed to be funny and he like, you know, tries to to execute the, you know, laughter protocol or anything like that happens, it just looks so weird, man. Like he just goes into bobblehead mode, his mouth just slack completely open, like with some maniacal smile. He doesn't know what he's doing with his eyes. It's just also uh it's just also off putting. And yeah, you see that he gets on a national scale and you see all that and you're like, this this is the guy, you know, <laughs> like this is the guy that we, you know, that we thought was coming. Uh, and I have been enjoying that. I'm not going to lie. I've had some schadenfreude over that because obviously he's uh, pretty terrible. So not not minding his downfall, but it's not like we're out of the woods yet. <laughs> oh, we're so far not out of the woods. There's so many things I want to talk to you about. But one thing I want to talk to you about, you have a book coming out. Mm -hmm. You uh, round here and over yonder with um, another <laughs> really hysterical person. Corey Ryan Forrester. What's that about? What's your book about? Uh, well, around here and over yonder, it's actually it's a comedic travel guide, basically. So me and Corey have traveled all around this country many times over together doing comedy shows. And then for this book, our publisher uh, sent us to England and Scotland for the first time in our lives, both of us, uh, which, you know, we couldn't believe we got them to agree to that, but they fell for it. But yeah, we went over there and it's sort of like, you know, two 
backwoods hillbillies perspectives on you know the rest of the well the south where we're from the rest of this country and also you know over there over yonder as the case may be across the pond but i you know it's uh it the first book that we wrote along with drew morgan was like pretty heavy in parts it was called the liberal redneck manifesto uh, dragging dixie out of the dark and it was like you know a, a look at all the issue like an honest look at all the issues the south had and how we could strive for a better future or whatever and it had jokes in it but it got really heavy and dark in places this one is uh is much lighter fare we aimed for uh you know comedy well i mean you know with plenty of we play plenty of digs at plenty of places, but it's all out of love and and in good fun. So we hope people will enjoy it. But we figured, you know, there's a lot, there's enough uh, darkness uh, in in the world as it is right now. So we're trying to bring something a little lighter to it. So yeah, it comes out next month. I hope uh, hope people check it out. Yeah, I think we need, do need a little lightness because there is so much darkness. And I mean, just look around the country and a lot of the darkness. Let's not pretend the darkness comes from these Republicans like Ron DeSantis, who literally has people fleeing his state because they have transgender kids. And it's, you know, we were yeah. talking earlier tonight with um, a woman from South Carolina and Warner uh, about the six week abortion ban that they're all the guys. It was all guys on their state Supreme Court just um, upheld and. There is a lot of darkness and it comes from those Republicans. And, 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 and it's not a lot of it's coming from the South these days, mm-hmm. Trey, but it's not just the South. It's mm-hmm. it's a lot of other places, too. These are dark times. And that's why the humor, I think, is so important. And like I said, I mean, your videos, I think, have helped a lot. I, I, I used to think the two people who helped me get through the pandemic and the Trump years were Randy Rainbow and Trey Crowder. Yeah. So thank Aww. you. Thank you for that. That's high, <laughs> for that's that. high praise right there. Love Randy. That's very sweet of you to say. Thank you. Yeah, you said up top, you're like, help to keep you sane. That's the way that so many people put it to me. Like that. That's like the number one way that people, you know, compliment me on those videos in some version. Like you've helped to keep me sane through all this crazy stuff or whatever. And that's a that's a, a very much appreciated, but also, you know, I mean, that's a that's a big compliment. Because also part of me is like, yeah, man, you know, who's keeping me sane, buddy? Like, I'm, like <laughs> I hope I can hold it together long enough. But yeah, I, um, I appreciate that because it is, yeah, it's wild times. It's just my way of that. Those videos are my way of uh, trying to, I don't know, process it all, but also push back uh, in a funny way or just take the piss out of things too you know what i mean um stuff that uh, it's not not that it shouldn't be taken seriously it should but also you know should be made fun of wherever appropriate in my opinion like i said it matters and it really you know and look i think a, a lot of people probably like it and a lot of look a lot of when i say this I, i'm a gay man but a lot of i think a lot of straight guys can relate to what you're saying because you say it in a way that they would get it and add the humor to it and you put it into perspective for them. And to me, that's a really important skill these days because I I really feel like we need a lot more straight male allies. And I think that you are one of the people who can help translate the world to them. I don't know if that's part of your goal, but it certainly feels like it's a really important contribution these days, especially these days. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you probably uh, know this if you've, you've been watching my videos for a while and everything, but I've... Uh, my uncle Tim is gay. I'm very close to my uncle Tim, my dad's brother, and so I've always, uh, I've always, you know, been 
uh, I, I've been an ally since before I knew what the word ally was. It's just, you know, like when I was a kid in rural yeah. Tennessee, I, I always hated it in, in the like rampant homophobia and stuff that way people would talk about, especially religious people would talk about gay people and stuff because I had a gay uncle and I found, you know, it really bothered me. Um, and so I, I just kind of, it sort of came naturally to me, I guess. But the other thing you were saying about like, being able to speak their language yeah that i mean that's something i get a lot too and i wouldn't say it's like a goal of mine but it is something that i'm aware of but it's also not something i can really take any credit for i don't think because it's just sort of i think it's just a product of where i'm from and how i grew up and whatnot you know what i mean like i come from like that world you know and so i just kind of naturally do talk that speak that language or whatever I just don't have a lot of stereotypical beliefs that they tend to have. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it does seem yeah. to be somewhat effective in some way. But, yeah, I just kind of fell backwards into it, really. It's just the nature of who I am as a person and as a comedian. Well, uh, I, it's it's. <laughs> I'm glad you fell ass backwards into it because we have needed it. So, okay, you've got a book coming out, but you also have a tour coming up. You, mm. you just were up in, actually. I'm in New England right now. You're in Burlington. Um, yeah. T- talk a little bit. What's your uh, What's your show about? Uh, yeah. So for both the book and the tour, you can go to TreyCrowder.com, T-R-A-E Crowder.com. See all my upcoming dates. I, I said the tour is kind of perpetual. I'm sort of always on tour. I'll take a little time uh-huh. off here and there. Like right now, I got like a couple weeks off. Uh, but I was just in Burlington. I'm in Austin next month. But I'm always going places. So, yeah, go check that out. But it's like uh, it's a mix of I mean, I strongly believe. So I don't go up on stage for an hour and just like rant at the audience in the style of my videos. That would be exhausting, I think. Also, you need some breaks for laughter in there. You know, I mean, it's it's a pretty traditional (laughs) stand up set, but it does cover a lot of that same ground. I've always my favorite comics were always the guys that did social commentary, you know, that had something I felt like they had something to say, talked about society and things of that nature. So. I've always tried to do that. So I, I feel pretty strongly that if you like my videos, you will also like the live show, though it is a little different. I do joke. It's a like I said, I do stand up. So if you like stand up, that's what I do. But I talk about, you know, I talk about things going on in the country and in the world and stuff like that. And but I also talk about like. You know, the South, my upbringing, you know, my redneck background or family members or whatever, like that type of stuff, too. So, you know, I try to mix it up and have a good time. And, you know, people seem to enjoy it. So, yeah, I'm having fun with it. Well, that's great. TreyCrowder.com. And also, I I highly recommend Weekly Skews. I I love watching you and Mark and just dissect the news. It is uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. And you guys Mm -hmm. look like you have a lot of fun doing that. Um, Trey Crowder, this has been a real treat. Thank you. Thank you for joining us tonight here on Tell Me Everything. And uh, uh, pleasure's mine. You do. I mean, really, absolutely. Oh, really uh, I, I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. Tell John I said hey, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. We appreciate you too. Thank you for joining us tonight here on yeah. Tell Me Everything. <laughs> <laughs>